Welcome to Defining Endurance, a podcast focused on providing actionable insights for endurance athletes. Whether you're an athlete just getting started in endurance sports or a veteran looking to gain an edge, the Defining Endurance podcast is here to ask curious questions with athletes and fitness professionals, and most importantly, dive deep on current training topics so you can become the best version of yourself. Let us wait no longer. Let's dive into this week's episode. All right, welcome back or welcome to the Defining Endurance podcast. I'm your host, Coach Andrew Simmons, and my guest today goes by Gonzo, uh, the chocolatier at Miette de Chocolat. Did I get that right? Yeah, you got it right, bud. Oh, good. This is this is going to be fun. Um, Gonzo and I go back. We've done a few fun things together um, and really excited to bring him on. Uh, he is currently, he, well, I guess I'm seeing you currently because I'm still watching the show. But nice. you were on Bake Squad this year on Netflix. Correct. How was that? It's been awesome. It was great filming it. And yeah, it's, it, it just aired a couple weeks ago. So it's been quite hectic, honestly, over the last two or three weeks. Yeah, it's it's been fun kind of watching you. I think, you know, watching you on social media, it was just like, I'm like, I know that guy. Like, <laughs> I hang out with that guy. It's so weird to like watch you on TV. I'm like, this is kind of cool, though. It's It's even weird for me to just like watch myself on the screen. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I bet. Um, I'm excited today because I wanted to kind of talk about where the love of chocolate and the love of running intersect. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I found that has really connected me with just people, but also like people in my life is is a passion for things. And I, I, I love that you not only have a huge passion for running, but you also have a huge passion for chocolate. Like yeah. what you're able to create with chocolate just blows my mind. If I'm being honest. Yeah, dude, it's crazy. (laughs) Like, even when you come into your store at the Stanley Marketplace, um, at me at the Chocolate, you, everything is made out of chocolate. Yeah. Um, So I kind of want to hear a little bit. I do want to go back because I think your story started a long time before Bake Squad. Oh, yeah. Kind of propelled you uh, into the the place that you are now in many people's minds. Um, Tell me a little bit about, you know, kind of growing up, like, and, and like coming to the U.S. because it wasn't, you know, I think the, the story that most people probably think it is. Like, when did you, like, when did you first come to the U.S.? Uh, I landed here, well, I came to the U.S., honestly, when I was 15, 16 years old. I landed in Wichita, Kansas for, like, 12, no, it was more than that. It was like 16 months. Uh, I did my senior year of high school there. So I came as a competitive golfer. I used to golf growing up. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Uh, I know. <laughs> and in Wichita, Kansas, the middle of nowhere. And everybody asked me, like, how was that? And it was actually awesome. Yeah. Uh, you know, as a teenager, I was actually like a popular kid in Wichita, Kansas, because I'm the only one with an accent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I got to golf every single day. Uh, it was amazing. So I did my senior year of high school, then I went to Argentina, and then I came back to the U.S., I would say, 11 years ago. Uh, I lost track of time, honestly. It was either 2008 or 2009 that I landed in Boulder, Colorado. There's a hotel called the St. Julian Hotel and Spa. They brought me from Argentina to start their pastry department. Wow. And so you you were born in Argentina. I was born and raised in Argentina. Where yeah. specifically? Uh, I was born in Buenos Aires and then raised all the way up north in Salta, almost in the border with uh, Bolivia. Okay. And that's like really surrounded by mountains. Is that where you think you found your love for mountains first? Uh, I would say so. And then I discovered that the main reason why I love golfing so much as a kid is because I spent so much time outside. That's, that's what it was. Just love it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I wasn't. Didn't. I wasn't good at the sport per se. Like I couldn't become a pro. I was good. I was competitive. I couldn't become a pro because my head wasn't there. It's a very like mentally tough game. Uh, my psychology wasn't there. Let's put it that way. But I just loved spending time outside. I think that's an amazing point because I think one of the things that people don't understand about golf is. You're, you know, an average game is what, three, four hours, maybe? Four hours, like, yeah, for like 18 holes. 18 holes, and you, you know, if, if it's a par three, right, that's 54, like, right. hits on the ball. Uh huh. Right? Like, you get 54 chances, which sounds like a lot, but realistically, in four hours, like, we're talking seconds of gameplay in a Correct. four or five hour span. And what I, what I think I want the listeners to kind of key in on is like, you have to stay mentally engaged. Correct. For four hours. Yeah. Like the mental aspect of golf and like having a bad shot or having anything that like goes sideways on you. Yeah. Like <laughs> that that can stop you right in your tracks. Yeah. And there's there it's it's a pressure game. You put a lot of pressure on yourself and like that's that's the main reason why I wasn't good at it. And obviously it's, it's a very technical game. Yeah. Uh, just like tennis or you know, hockey, like the, there's so many variables and and it's just such a technical sport overall and i think like you know i grew up wrestling Uh and like i think a lot of people also don't understand like you know that it is it's so much of a technique based sport yeah um and you know as i'm kind of like thinking through this like there's a very clear thing like i bet your technique game as a golfer was really solid wasn't it it was so the technical side of it was probably came pretty easy to you. Exactly. You but par- the head wasn't there. So how oh, we'll, we'll get into this, but I'm, uh-huh. I'm curious to draw the line between you as a golfer and a, a person that's very technical. And how does that parlay into being a chocolatier and, you know, being able to, because it's a technique thing. You can mess up chocolate very quickly. Like having had a chance to like come and watch you, you know, make chocolate and, you know, watch the tempering process. It can go from great to shit in like exactly a second. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's let's bring this back. So, born in Buenos Aires. Uh huh. And so, you know, did you fall? Where you fell in love with golf there? Uh, no, I mean, I started golfing. So I was born in Buenos Aires, and then we moved to Salta, and and then I started golfing there at the age of six years old, and I golfed until I was sixteen. I would say until I started cooking, basically. So you started cooking. So give us a little more insight. So you were, were you always cooking like in high school? Like, was that always like a secondary thing? Not really. I started cooking literally because I got kicked out of my house at the age of 17. Oh. Uh, And this is- Are you a bit of a bad boy? uh, Yes. And I always tell this story and I'm extremely grateful to my dad uh, for kicking me out of the house. I I was, yeah, I was a little party animal. Yeah. Uh, And then, yeah, I grew up pretty comfy, like- you know, golfing, I had anything I needed or anything I wanted. Uh, but yeah, it got to a point that I was just like partying and I didn't want to go to school. And my dad was like, all right, you're out. So wow. he like cut me off 100%. So I moved to the coast of Argentina and that's where I started working in a restaurant literally as a dishwasher. Wow. Uh, and I fell in love with the culinary world. So at first I was a cook, I was a savory cook. And then I put myself through culinary school I literally lived in a garage for two years. <laughs> uh, I had nothing. There was like a mattress on the floor. I could not wait to go to work every single day uh, after school because that's where I would eat there. Yeah. Uh, 
and then yeah, I just built myself up and, and just traveled around Argentina doing seasonal jobs as a chef in different hotels and restaurants and such and such. But I'm extremely grateful that my dad did that because like I get to value absolutely everything that I have nowadays. And and we're talking about like very simple little things in life. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah I, I was talking to, um, I just came from practice and I was talking to one of our younger kids and, you know, sadly, like, you know, his parents are going through a thing and like, uh-huh. I told him, I'm like, my parents' divorce was like one of the best things that ever happened to me because it like, it, it made me like rethink in my brain, like what's really important, right? Because right. I was an only child. And so like, I didn't have to worry too much about anything, right? right. Like I had everything I needed, great comfy little thing. And then my whole world got kind of like shoved to the side when all uh-huh. this mom had a stroke, like those kind of things. And what I realized is like, those are constraints. Those are things that like push us to like kind of understand who we are, right? We, we have these moments, whether it's like in racing or in life that like can kind of almost push us up against a wall, Yeah. but they're very defining moments. And yeah. it sounds like getting kicked out was kind of your first defining moment. Oh, 100%. And so again, right? Like that char- character building, like in the Calvin and Hobbes sense is like, you're challenged with something living on a mattress yeah, <laughs> in a garage. Like, so what made you make the switch? Why, why are you not still in Argentina? Um, I just wanted to like keep growing and I, I realized that I, need, I needed like international experience and I spoke the language. Okay. Uh, so I said like, yeah, why not like go to the United States? And there was an opportunity there. Was, like I saw online that there was this hotel in Boulder, Colorado and they were hiring people. So I just applied. And And then after several interviews, they just, you know, did my whole visa, the whole process, and I just landed here. So landing right in Boulder, Colorado. Boulder, Colorado. Direct from Argentina. Direct from Argentina. How good was your English when you started? Uh, It was actually pretty good, I would say. Yeah, Yeah, and you were in the U.S. during high school. Yeah, exactly. And I grew up in a, a, you know, my my high school was like very English-oriented. Got it. Got it. So landing in Boulder, like... Did you, was running even on your like radar at this point? No, honestly. And that, that's the funny thing. Like, so with this 2008, running's not on your like, on No, your mind like running comes like a lot later. That's so crazy. Yeah. So. I was still basically partying. <laughs> I was working very hard. I was like focused on my career, uh, but I wasn't running, uh, honestly. So I was just like extremely focused on my career. We're talking about like I was working probably 70 to 75 hours a week. And you were just, and you were still the pastry chef, yeah. I was the pastry chef at the Saint Julian Hotel, yeah. And so, for those that aren't in the the culinary world, like pastry is not always dessert, right? Like it, it's correct. It can kind of fall into yeah. It's the, the the pastry department. You're gonna do like the desserts for the restaurants or desserts for banquets, but then you also make the breads. Uh, do a lot of breakfast items, uh, like coffee cakes and stuff for the coffee shops. So there's this little pastry department that. Anything that has flour and sugar in the hotel, that's what we produce. Got it. Uh, and then on top of that, obviously, from like bonbons and chocolates for the rooms and amenities and like anything else. And those are still little things you make today. Uh, Your little bonbons, right? Like, um, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, and those, those, I, I just, I love going on your website if you guys are, want to see some of the most beautiful chocolates in the world. It's, <laughs> can you spell it for people? Uh, yeah, Miet et Chocolat. Yeah. So the website is www.mietteet, 
C-H-O-C-O-L-A-T. Yeah. Et chocolate. And et that chocolate. means crumbs and chocolate. Crumbs and chocolate. So where the let's let's dive into that. So I want to come back actually before we do that, because I get excited and I want to just like dive into things <laughs> that are fun. Let's 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 keep on our line here. Um so Boulder, you know, pastry department. Correct. How do we then move into kind of finding your love for running? Kind of take me through the next couple of years. So I'm in Boulder. Then after Boulder, I moved to actually New Orleans after that. Uh, There's this massive hotel, like Hyatt Regency in New Orleans. They hired me to develop and to reopen the hotel that was closed after Katrina. They reopened it. We're talking about a massive operation. I had 60 people there in the pastry department. Uh, it was very, very big. So going from, you know, the St. Julian Hotel and Spa, that had, like I had five people in the big shop. Oh, wow. Now I'm going to like 60. So it's a massive operation. So they moved me there. I started working for Hyatt. So I was in New Orleans for a couple of years. After that, we moved. Uh, that's where I meet my wife, uh, Wilma. And then after that, we moved to New York. So we are in New York for a couple of years. Then after that, uh, the company moves me to Santiago, Chile. Same thing for Hyatt. Okay. So we're there for a couple of years. And then after, you know, several years working in the corporate world as a corporate pastry chef for, for hotels, we decided to jump out of the corporate world and we said, let's go back to the U.S., but I want to go back to Colorado because the mountains are there. And I still, like, even though I wasn't running, like, I love the mountains. Yeah. And I love Colorado overall. So we decided to come back and just open something. And, well, I have my business partner, which is Dave. And then we started planning the whole thing when I was still in Chile and he was here in, in Denver. Wow. So you guys hatched this plan together, just, hey, let's make the best chocolate we can. Like what, right. was, your, what was your inspiration for the business? The whole thing was just to open a small shop where we could work, have fun, and not have to like stress, you know, over corporate bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, that. like I didn't want to have to report to like a VP of food and beverage or anything like that. I just wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to be creative, have fun. That was the number one thing. And just, if we can, just make money out of it. And is, is it always been just, just about fun? It's, yeah. It's, well, I'm not going to lie. Like when we first started, it was fun. It was a lot of work, but it's stressful, you know, because yeah. when, when it's your money, uh, it's, it's quite stressful. Yeah. No, no one will ever, no matter what anybody says, no one will ever care as much about your business as you will. And, 100%. Oh man. And it's hard. That's what makes it hard. But you have yeah. to realize like you can still put your heart and soul out there. Right. And people see that. And like, I think that's like, what has attracted me both to your products uh-huh. <laughs> and, and to you is that your your passion for it comes through. And I kind of want to give, get, have, have the people hear a little bit about like how you just found that name um, and, and really kind of break that down for us. Because I remember you told this story to us uh, at one point and I just love this story. So the name basically uh, like... Both my business partner and I, we were both trained with French pastry chefs. Uh, so what we do is like French pâtisserie and, 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 and chocolates overall. And then we wanted to do something that was going to be desserts and chocolates and confections. So miette, uh, it's like it's crumb in, in, in French. So that represents the pastry side of things. And then chocolat, chocolat would be chocolate. So we have... Pastry and chocolate. And then obviously, like, miette is also a, a term of endearment. Something like uh, mon petit mignon or like something like cutesy. Yeah. Let's put it that way. So that's where it comes from. Yeah. And miette I would, et chocolat. Yeah. And I, I love it because 
I don't know. I would never usually like, I'm a, like when it comes to like chocolate and things like that, like uh-huh. I love chocolate, but I'm like, I'm going to be, I'm not going to lie. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Snickers bar kind of guy. Right. Like, Me too, I, huh? I, I, but like <laughs> you're the first person that's like put a chocolate bar in front of me and I'm like, I'm going to eat this whole thing. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's a good and a bad problem, but just the way it, it looks, you can see you're passionate, but also like the bonbons and the other little things are just, they're so pretty. Yeah. And I almost don't want to eat them. There's, there's a lot of artistry that goes into it for sure. Uh, from the design to the colors, to the work that goes behind every single one of the pieces that we make. Uh, but yeah, going back to that, like me, after so many years working with chocolate and in the chocolate industry, if I'm craving chocolate any day of the week, it's literally going to be a Kit Kat or like a Snickers bar. You're not sure. going to eat your own chocolate? No, I'm like sick and tired of it. Like I smell it all the time. Like I go into the production facility and like it smells like really high-end dark chocolate from, I don't know, let's say Peru or... or uh, Dominican Republic, like different origins and stuff, but you, you I can smell the difference. Yeah, you can because you can smell the different the acidity oh, on wow. it. Yeah, yeah, that's nuts. See, after after many years, like just making it, it's, it's you can tell the difference for sure. See that that's like such a tactical thing that I could never like. You'd I'd be like, that's chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> no man, I love this. I um, I want to. If you guys haven't had a chance to go look on Gonzo's Instagram, it's Chef Gonzo, right? Yeah, Chef Gonzo. Chef Gonzo. Um, he's got some amazing pieces. Um, I have to ask one question though about Big Squad before we move forward. Yeah, of course. Was the dinosaur egg really all chocolate? It was 100% chocolate, except for the giant crate, the wooden crate that you see there. Yeah. That is like where the whole display was, that was wood. But then the rest, like from the rocks to the whole thing, the leaves, absolutely everything that you see there, it's 100% chocolate. How long did it, like, I mean, I know there's time constraints, but there's also some movie magic there. Like, how long does something like that big take? Like, actually just making it, not like concept and design, but like, how long does it physically take you to make that? So we made that in seven hours, actually. What? Uh, yeah. And then we had, when people asked me, yeah, we had certain parts made on the back, but that was mainly because... Like the the way the show was formatted was that we would create the things one day on Tuesday, for example. But then the following morning, like these part, the, the one that got chosen was mm. going to the actual party. Got it. Do you remember that part? Yeah, of, yeah, like yeah. on the show, there was like an actual party the day after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you get picked, if your creation was chosen, was the winner. You had to stay later at night recreating everything because that's oh. leaving and going in the morning. So we're trying to stay ahead of the game in case you win to recreate this stuff. That's insane. So, yeah. So you made it twice? Literally, I made it twice. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy, dude. That's really, really crazy. Um, so when did you really define that chocolate was like your medium for expression? Because I think when we talk about artists, like whether you're a professional runner, like of course, like their expression is through running and Correct. you see a lot of people in activism and things like that. But I feel like you express a lot of your personality and there's this very fun side of you. Uh-huh. I think that shows through an exterior. And I, if you guys haven't, you know, watched the show bake squad, like you're kind of what I would imagine, like a chef would be, you got some tattoos. Is that a Willy Wonka? That's it. Willy Wonka. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> you, you got a nose ring, you got some great hair, you got, you have personality on the outside, but uh-huh. I think, when when you look at what you create, it's the sometimes these very sharp lines, but maybe some really soft textures. Like uh-huh. I really love that. And like, when did you really define, you know, coming from 
like we said, flour, water, and sugar, uh-huh. and moving directly into cacao and, you know, really making this all about chocolate. I would say that was when I landed here in the U.S. because I was a pastry chef before, and I've worked with chocolate quite a bit before I came here to the U.S. But so when I landed, uh, we're talking about 2008, 2009, working for the St. Julian Hotel. I started buying all these pastry magazines, and I started seeing all these Europeans doing comp- like chocolate competitions in Europe, and these chocolate sculptures all over. Mm. And I'm like, how the heck is this stuff being made? Like, what are they doing? How? So I started, like, really digging into it. And then I started just, like, practicing and practicing and investing in molds. I started buying silicone to make my own molds. So I just – and I, I, I didn't go to, like, chocolate school or chocolate school right. whatsoever. I just trained myself. And there's a lot of reading involved and practicing uh, and there's many, many sides in the chocolate world. Like it's the, there's the artsy side where I make all these crazy sculptures and like that would be my hobby inside of my job. And then on the other hand, there's the chemistry side where I actually do develop uh, recipes for industrial companies. Yeah. Right. I've done stuff for like big, big, large corporations down in South America. Uh, then there's the teaching side of things. When I go and travel around the world, teaching classes and doing demos for different brands. So there's many, uh, many ways of expressing, you know, my, my work. That's awesome. I kind of like, I see that in, in much the same way, like I coach, uh-huh. but at the same time, like I also teach form clinics Yeah. and, you know, like whether I'm giving form and feedback, like I, I'm by no means a chocolatier, uh-huh. uh, but you know, I think you're an artist in your craft. And that's really why I wanted to bring you on is kind of like, there are a lot of parallels that I think I want our listeners to kind of understand that like it's really never too late to start something that you love. Right. And like, you know, you weren't a runner initially like you. And then that's, that's what I want to dive into next is like, how does the guy that's like, you know, typically when you think of a chef, you think a guy that, that works, you know, 12 hours a day, Uh uh, six days a week, you know, might get a day off in there, night owl, Exercise yeah. is not on the list of right. things to do that day. And their minds are always kind of flooded and off thinking about chocolate. Right. So when when does does running kind of enter the picture to you? And I'm very curious as to the how. How did running come into your life? Uh, it was when we first opened. So here in Colorado, well, actually, I started running road when we were living in Chile, right? Okay. So I was just running there like throughout the city of Santiago de Chile just for fun or just not even for fun I'm I'm not gonna lie like it sucked I hated it Uh, (laughs) I just did it just to stay healthy and like I realized that it was good for my head yeah Uh, so that's when I started running and I was playing squash too but I just wanted to complement a little bit and like get healthier so I that's when I started running in, in Santiago de Chile and then I came here to Colorado I kept running roads in here and then some like a friend of mine, she took me to the trails for the first time. Uh, and this was actually literally four years ago. Wow. Because uh, it was on September 11th. Well, actually four years and two days. Uh, yeah. That was my first trail run whatsoever. We went to Green Mountain. And then, yeah, I when we first started running, I, I, I'm like, why would people want to run uphill? This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen <laughs> in my hard. life. I, I'm, I was dying. Uh, but then we made it up there and obviously I'm trying to like keep up. 
Right. We made it up there and then we started running downhill and I fell in love with it. That was like... So the, the downhill set you free? 100%. Like I've never felt like, such a rush. I felt like I was five years old just playing again. It, yeah. it was amazing. And so that's what got you hooked? That's what got me hooked. And then I met, I started like meeting other people and like I started hearing about like ultra running and like people going like crazy distances. I'm like, that sounds dumb, but pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, and then knowing me, I have like a very all or nothing personality. Yeah. So, uh, and then what happened? I actually, so I went to Berkeley Park uh, Running Company. Yeah. And I met Phil. <clears throat> and Phil's like one of the owners and employees over there. And he started talking about the Leadville 100 and races he have done. So I just I started like looking into it and I signed up for the Leadville 100 to see if I, my number would get picked. And so literally nine months after my first trail run whatsoever, I ran the Leadville 100. Yeah, I remember taking that phone call. I just remember exactly. you calling. I remember you call, called me and like, Hey, so <laughs> I've been running for nine months and I want to, <laughs> I'm signed up for the Leadville 100. And I'm like, what? Huh? Yeah. And I was like, any other prior running experience? And you're like, no, none whatsoever. <laughs> and I just knew as a coach, I was just like, oh my goodness. Like I, I, how do, how do we do this? And yeah. like, you know, it was, it was a really great experience because I got to watch you. Um, I didn't coach you, but I got to uh -huh. watch you grow as an athlete kind of again on the sidelines of you know social media and things like that yeah. like you know watching that grow and then being there on the day uh -huh. um what i thought was really really interesting um and i don't know if you ever drew these lines together um you're currently coached by Addie bracy right now right and i was crewing Addie when caitlin was coaching you at leadville 100 that's incredible it's isn't a that small cool? world man. isn't that like a tiny it, little yeah, world yeah, it is so um it was just such a great day because I would see like William and like Wilma as like, w you know, it was like, Hey, uh -huh. how you doing? I remember I was like super tired and like, um, I, I'd slept out for just a second while we were waiting at an aid station and William like shakes my shoulder like, Hey, she's coming in. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Like gotta, <laughs> he like woke me up. I had to get back in the game cause Corey was out there. It was just such a, it was such a great, I, that was probably my favorite Leadville of like six that I've crewed. Yeah. It was one of my favorite. It was not, had nothing to do with the fact that I was crewing Addy up at the front of the race. It was right. just the energy of that race. There's, there's something special there. I don't know if it's what happens at, at Leadville during the 100, but it's, it's such a freeing energy. Like there's just something in the air that day. That, that race is incredible. The town, like everything about that. And like, I always, not to sound like the typical trail runner or ultra runner, about the Leadville 100, that right. like it's gonna change your life. Is it, the race per se is not something that changed my life, but something that actually did change my life was actually making it up to Hope Pass. Yeah, because I had like such a hard time. I was like I would not stop throwing up. I yeah. had a throw up like attack, and I, I still remember it took me like probably hour and a half and, or two hours to make it up there. Yeah. Uh, sorry, hour and a half or two hours to like moved for two miles. It was it was going extremely slow. I could not stop throwing up. Yeah. And then once I made it up there and like back, I'm like, all right, I, I did it. Like it's Yeah. You made it you made it on the way back. And yeah. I just remember like the conditions got uh, they started to deteriorate a, a little bit during oh, that. Yeah. yeah. Things started and not you personally, but like literally the weather started like it got wet, it got rainy, it got nasty there during like the hardest part of the race, which I think is 
you know, the, the, the night section right. on that race. And it just, it gets, it gets wet, it gets lonely, it gets hard. Um, so what was that experience for you? Like, did you walk away from that being like, okay, hundreds from here on out? Like what were you hooked? Like, cause you'd never run in a marathon even before that. Right. Uh, I've never <laughs> still, <laughs> I've never still, I haven't run a marathon. <laughs> I haven't, I tried to run a 10 K in Stapleton, uh, a year ago or a year and a half ago or something like that, two years before COVID. And I actually DNF'd because I rolled my ankle. <laughs> You're just not meant for short <laughs> distance. I'm not meant for short distance. That hurts too much. Uh, but yeah, to answer your question, after 100 miles, I just loved it. And I just loved everything that came with it. And from not just running, but, you know, the friends that are out there supporting you and just the challenge, knowing that you can conquer that distance, it makes you... At least it makes me feel stronger as a person. So I'm going to ask an out-of-the-box question here. What's your relationship with fear and starting new things then? Because to go from living in, you know, Argentina to move to the U.S. and, you know, move into, like, pastries and then into chocolate and then hyper-specialize, like... You know, for me, like I think about myself as a coach, like if I were to specialize in only coaching marathoners, like there's fear there admittedly for me of like just narrowing and saying, this is the one thing I'm going to do to then look at a hundred mile race and go, yeah, no, that's not that big of a deal. I'm not afraid of it. Like, where do you feel like you developed like your relationship to like not have as much fear maybe as other people when it comes to things that would normally like paralyze people? Yeah, I think that me personally, I thrive on to like getting into new things. Uh, I really like just starting things that I've never done before and things that are actually hard. I think that defines myself as as a person. Like, like what you said, from like when I jump from the pastry world to the chocolate world, like doing chocolate is something a lot more technical than pastry per se. Right. And then same thing. I started running, and it wasn't. I just. I couldn't run like a normal person and just sign up for a marathon uh, and just do it well. I just had to go like the long distance, yeah. um, something that was going to be, for me personally, harder. Uh, and then, yeah, every, every challenge that I put myself through, it's, it's, I think it, it helps me to become a better person, I guess. So for you, is it about the reward of finishing something that's hard? Like when you set out to make a new like product or something, is it about, you know, the end product that you get and you get to have this thing and like, wow, look at what I created. Or is it about the process leading into it? It's a little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy the process. I enjoy the creative process and just working on it. And then once you're done and you have the thing already finished and you look at it and you're like, holy shit, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. And uh, how cool it is. And the same, the same thing goes for running. Like I'm Joe from enjoy from the training or, the moment that I signed up for it. Yeah. Uh, and then just race day. Like it's. So as, so as someone that like, you know, I know the process of creating, you know, is a lot like training, right? Like you're going to have some recipes that are awful. Uh-huh. and not going to work like injuries. Like I draw the two kind of like side by side with each other. Like yeah. how do you manage frustration? You know, whether it's not seeing the results that you want in training or, you know, getting stuck in a recipe that like you can see it in your mind and you can like envision yourself or, you know, you can imagine what you're working on and it doesn't, it day after day, you're grinding it out and it's not happening. Like, how do you manage frustration? Uh, it's, it's quite normal for me. And, and then that's something that I've started like working with 
when I was a golfer as a kid. Yeah. Uh, like frustration was always there because my game was never perfect. Right. And then same thing when it comes to, you know, working with chocolate and developing recipes. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of frustration there because not everything's going to work perfect right from the get-go. So it's just a matter of endurance, man. You just keep doing it and keep doing it until it happens. Yeah. And the same thing goes for, for training when you're when you're running. Like it's, th- there's going to be a lot. Of, and, and I saw this in, in, in your social media. There's days that a run just needs to be a run. Yeah. Not, not a great run, not a bad run, like just a run. And that's fine. Yeah. It doesn't uh, always have to have a, an objective. And exactly. Have to like, you know, get down to like, I got to run this pace at this time. Like, and that's what I always think, like, you know, athletes, they're like, okay, well, I don't want, you know, I, I don't need, I don't need a coach. Right. To like, uh-huh. cause I, I like, I just like to run and I'm like, right. well, there's guidance, right? They're like, you learned from somebody, right? And even then you taught yourself, but now you see the value in having a coach and having a guide. And that's that's the main reason, like like I said, like the first time I reached out to you, the main reason why I was looking for a coach wasn't because I I wanted to win anything or because I was never, I'm I'm, I'm a chocolatier. I know that I've never, I never win anything, but I wanted to actually learn the sport. That's why you team up with an actual legit coach and somebody that knows the sport and you learn all these tricks and things and, when you really get into something properly, like you want to learn, that's that's yeah. how it goes. Yeah, and I think that 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 craving for knowledge and understanding is like, yeah. I've always viewed coaching as like it's a dialogue, right? It's a back and a forth, right? Yeah. And like, I've always wondered, like, I wonder if Gonzo ever just sits when he's creating something, and he talks to the chocolate. Do you talk to the chocolate? And not really. <laughs> just not really. Not really, or not that I could remember now, but. Uh, I do spend, there are many, many days that I just, I'm by myself at the shop and this, it happens. Like, for example, this past weekend, I was working on this giant rubber ducky sculpture and I had to wait for everybody to just like go home. I sent all the, like everybody at the production facility and I just want to stay there by myself with some music and the rubber ducky and myself, like just working. <laughs> Did you name the rubber ducky? Uh, yes. His name is, what did I name him? <laughs> Lieutenant Gilbert McDuckins. Lieutenant Goldberg McDuffins. No, Lieutenant Gilbert, Gilbert. McDuffins. He's oh, a pilot. See. Oh, he's a pilot. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I see. Yeah, I thought it's you... on my social media. You're going to see it. Like, it, it's, it's fun looking. I'll have to take a look. Giant thought, chocolate rubber ducky. I thought you said Goldberg, which which was actually going to bring me to my next point about 200 milers. <laughs> okay. We have a good friend together, <laughs> yes. Mr. Kevin Goldberg. Uh-huh. Um, was... I, I want to know, because you moved from the 100-mile distance into the 200-mile distance. Yes, and Kevin has stuff to do with it. <laughs> he definitely has some yes. stuff to do with that. So tell me tell me a little bit about, like, after you finished Leadville 100, like, why not another, like, why didn't you just go do, like, the Bear 100 or another 100-miler? Like, what got you to want to go do, you know, because you, you had one more 100-miler, I think, in there before you did your first 200, right? I did, yeah, I did one more 100-miler, and that was Lean Horse. Yeah. Uh, you cruised that one. Yeah, actually, that was, like, quite surprising. Uh, What'd you run that day? I 21 hours. I placed sixth overall, uh, which was like something. Well, let's be honest, the field there, like it, there was just like sure. one pro and, and like two other uh, like really talented runners. And then I came after that. And, and you. And like, <laughs> yeah, you got to put yourself out there, man. Like <laughs> to still run 21 hours and a hundred miles. Like, right. That's, that's still moving. I don't care whether it's the a flat pancake course around a park. Right. 
it still takes a heck of a lot of energy and effort and mental fortitude to go 21 hours in yeah. a 100 miler. And it was, yeah, and like I was saying, I was telling this story yesterday, actually. It was for the first time I actually ran for 50 miles, like nonstop, until I actually sat down. Wilma sat, like, at mile 50, that's when I sat down and had a little bit of ramen for, like, just, you know, seven minutes or something, changed shoes and everything. But for those first 50 miles, I actually ran. Not Like, I did not walk for a single second. That's crazy. I would get to the aid stations, like... One, two minutes, like getting Coca-Cola, pickles, whatever it was, and just get going. But I never walked for a single second. And that, That's a, that had to feel pretty cool. That actually, yes. That's the, the coolest thing about it. Like, I actually ran for 50 miles. Like, that was crazy. And so that was part of your buildup leading into 200 miles. Correct. Because I, <laughs> tell me enough, I did that two weeks before the 200 miler or two, two or three weeks before. Like, it was really right there. Yeah. And so um, let's, let's talk about how Kevin kind of comes into play with this. Well, I saw Ke- well, Kevin, like I saw him through social media and he was like your friend when I was training for, for the Leadville 100. And then he had done, he ran, uh, which one was it? Bigfoot. Bigfoot, correct. And then I met Kevin when I went up for the Leadville 100 the day before to like pack a pickup. He was up there with the uh, orange, orange, uh, mud. orange mud. Yep. And I'm like... You're Andrew's friend. You're the crazy <laughs> two hundred miler guy. How you doing, man? You're awesome. Blah blah blah. We just talked briefly, and I'm like, yeah. After that, maybe I want to do that. Yeah, uh, I want to be like that dude. Like he's badass. Wait, so you'd already decided before the hundred miler that two? It was already on my radar. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I can't imagine that. Uh, um, and I do that a lot. Sometimes I put myself like a second goal before I finish the first one. Okay. Uh, I do that quite a bit too for like the chocolate world or you name it for, for anything else. You just set bigger and bigger goals. Yeah. Okay. I love it. I love it. So, um, to kind of bring people into the world, uh, it's 2019, if I have this right. 2019. Yeah. 2019, um, uh, Tahoe 200. Uh Uh, I was crewing Kevin and then you were there with Wilma and her dad. Uh, well, it was her dad. And then I had three other friends that came from, from Colorado. Yeah, and came out to Tahoe. Um, you guys had a sick RV that we uh, would often just sit under the shade of because uh, Heck yeah. we had one car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a lot nicer than uh, if you guys have never um, heard of the Triple Crown of 200s. There's uh, three 200-mile races in succession, basically one every single month for three months. Right. Uh, the first in that is Bigfoot 200, which is out uh, towards Seattle, uh, kind of start in the Mount St. Helens area, circumnavs, and does all sorts of crazy stuff. Absolutely beautiful, gorgeous course. If you're ever thinking of a 200 miler, um, I don't know if this is the first one to do because it's so remote. Like, yeah. you could have two or three days if you're crewing where you don't have cell service. Like, right. not gonna happen type cell service. Um, the second in that, of course, is the Tahoe 200. And in particular, for 2019, I was coaching Kevin. Um, for the for the triple crown of 200s, and so right. this was his second um, 200 uh, with the one just being three and a half weeks, I think, prior uh-huh. uh, Bigfoot 200. So um, I was crewing him on this one, and uh, it was just so cool to see you out there and be like, I know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> They're cruising up. How what was that like for you? That was actually amazing. It was like one of my best races too. Like I I discovered that I have. I really love like the long distance and the, the, you know, going, slo- going long and just grinding for a long period of time. That's, that's what I really, really enjoy. Is it like a long golf game? Uh, <laughs> Cause I, imagine I would say so. Yeah. Like you have to actually stay focused 
but then also you get really exhausted so you're you lose focus and you're just flowing and you get you're extremely high let's just put it that way yeah from is that what it feels like for you for 200 miles yeah yeah like hallucinations and and we'll, we'll we can get into that later and like the whole bear phase and how is hallucinating bears and seeing bears all over the course oh let's dive right in yeah yeah so for you like you know getting beyond the 100 mile mark like, uh-huh. it was all new territory and you're like hey, i'm just gonna go double this like when you when you dove into that like were you already starting to like hallucinate and see like you know like talk me through that race like you know from from the start you know going up the ski resort to start there like how did that race play out for you kind of walk me through that it started pretty well i started like very conservative uh and i just it, it was like a whole new territory for me it was, it was just strange to see all these like 200 mile runners because they're, they're a different breed man you see all these like older military type of guys and they were like at the start line i was like hey kenny how you doing how was that 500 mile that you ran like <laughs> couple of weeks ago it was solid man what about you like they're just like really it's, strange it's a, people like yeah they're your, your typical dude with like long like white beard and like just long white hair i just like they're different breed amazing like all these badasses amazing people i yeah. think i i still talk to some people that we met on the tahoe 200 like we text uh-huh. back and forth like hey man what's what are you doing? He's like, I'm going to do these three 200s. Like, yeah, yeah. They're like, like hardcore. If they do 200s, they do 200s. Exactly. <clears throat> you don't dabble in 200s. You Correct. know, you're not like, oh, I'm going to go do 200 this weekend. No, yeah. it's like, it is definitely a commitment, but like, yeah, yeah, the people are, are, are different, but it's, it's like, I think of it like this. If 1% of the world runs a marathon in their lifetime, uh-huh. 1%, then what is a 200 miler? Like, one percent of one percent of one percent of one percent like it's it's a very small small group and it is so tight-knit like we still see people like i'll go watch you know track kevin now like oh there's van fan and there's okay and you're like yeah there's all these same characters all these people yeah it's crazy so started off pretty conservative at what point did you find like okay this is starting to get a little interesting uh, I would say like at mile 70, like the first night, uh, I was doing okay, but I got like really, really tired and, and obviously it was coming out of like a huge training block overall. So I, I was tired, like, like I, I, I paced myself pretty well, but still like it, it hit me. I got really, really tired overnight. And that's when I actually started hallucinating the first night from the get go. Really? Yeah. So um, night number one, like. When when we talk about hallucinations, hallucinations like what were you what bears? Were we I started seeing bears. Like we had the the pre race meeting, and they were talking about like if you see a black bear, how you're going to, you know, if you encounter a black bear, like just leave the animal alone. Like that, you you need to do this and that, and and so that got stuck in my brain, and I started seeing bears. But it was it was funny because I saw like cartoon bears, real bears, bears on trees, like bears everywhere. What? Uh, yeah. Uh, and then you would hear like noises here and there, obviously you're sure. in the middle, like you're in the tower room trail and there's like deer, there's animals out there. Right. Uh, but everything sounded and looked like a freaking bear to me. <laughs> Were you just like super paranoid about seeing a bear? Do you think yes, that was, I was a... yeah, I was pretty, pretty paranoid about Whoa. it. Yeah. So do you think like your like subconscious was like projecting and like. 100%. That's crazy. And it's funny. Like, uh, like my pacers uh, all the time, like I would hear something, I would stop and he's like. It's okay, but it's in your head. Like, there's no bears out there. I'm like, okay, let's go. Is that <laughs> just keep for like going. 130 miles? Like, yeah. 
And no, it, it just no. Sorry, it happened. The, the hallucinations of the bears was like at night, every night. Oh, so it only happened at night. You yeah, like not during the day. Crazy. Just at night. And so bring us now kind of around to that. So what did you finish that first 200-miler in? I finished in 73 hours, 73-something. I don't remember. That's solid. So That's I a placed 23rd overall. That's amazing. Uh, and you'd what, been running for, do the math? I was, I was, that was my second year anniversary because it was on a September 11th. Oh, my God. So two years. That's literally running. my second year of trail running ever. So from like like a hard stop there, like for anybody that's out there that's like just listening causally and be like, hey, this guy's cool. Like I saw him on a, you know, I saw him on a Netflix show. <laughs> uh, running isn't even really my thing. Like you might inspire somebody right now. You realize that, right? I like, hope so. Gonna, That'd be awesome. You're going to, someone's going to hear this and go like, well, I can, if he can do that. Exactly. That's the whole point of this. <laughs> because it, two years to run 200 miles, uh-huh. like to get there, like- what do you feel like was your what what was the greatest thing that you either had to tell yourself to you know just keep showing up for two years? Uh, it's just you got this. Like I'm, I'm, I'm and I realized this. I'm ve- I'm a very positive person. Yeah. Uh, so when things get rough during a race, a hundred mile or fifty mile, fifty k. Yeah. You just I literally and and I talk to to Addy a lot about this. Like I literally force a smile on my face. You're gonna see a lot of pic, like race pictures of me yeah. that it, like my face looks like <laughs> overall, but I'm literally smiling. It looks yeah. like I'm kind of crying. Yeah. But I'm like forcing a smile on my face, and that helps out a lot. So me being a very positive person, that's what gets me through tough times, and that's what gets me through to 100 miles. That's that's insane. I know um, Elliot Kipchoge is also famous for that. Do you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, so Elliot Kipchoge, um, you know, world record marathon. Yeah, yeah, right? of course. Um, you know, he's known for that. Like, his, that's I'll, I'll share this article with you. I'll put it in the show notes if anybody else is interested. They actually, um, I don't know if they did a study per se, but there's, um, they just, he, that's his thing is like, you'll never not see him smiling. Like, he's always had a smile on his that's face. Awesome. Like, he's like, I can be in the worst pain in my life in the last 2K of a, of a marathon and yeah. like, cut that smile on and it just, it pushes the pain away. And yeah. like, I guess that's what I'll have to try next time having a tough run. Yeah. It's, I mean, at least for, for me, it helps. And, and, and that goes, that applies to life uh, overall. Like it's uh, like, for example, my business, I'm, we're a small company, but so I'm the PR person, the marketing person, the sales guy. And like my first marketing or sales tool, is just smile to people when you go to present a product when you go to sit yeah. down to like a hotel in downtown denver that you want to sell chocolates to yeah first thing i'm going to do is just smile that's how you sell and that's that's something i learned from my from my dad like that's you need to be charming and then just like a smile is going to get you a long ways not only just selling chocolate but in life like in life and running 200 miles like it's i bet when will, will tell us that your smile is is everything i hope so <laughs> <laughs> so you know, how for you have has running and, you know, being a chocolatier intersected, like, unless you're you're going to launch it today right in front of me right now, like, you don't have some endurance chocolate bar coming out uh, anytime soon that I've heard. No, like, I've been working and I just do fun things for myself. And, and you know, when I when I come up and I develop products for just for myself, it's going to be junky peanut butter and <laughs> caramel and sugar stuff. I'm never going to create something super healthy for, for endurance because... That's my thing. Like it's, if you're going to eat chocolate and you're going to eat dessert, 
just go to town, have fun, and just eat some cherry. Eat a damn good chocolate bar. Exactly. That's why we run. That's why you work out. Like it, it is okay to eat the sugar and the calories. Like absolutely, so you're burning them. Absolutely. Uh, so for example, just man, it's, they're not finished. I'm gonna bring it next time. I just I was at the store and I just bought like this. You know those pretzel pillow things that come covered. Uh, they come uh, filled with peanut butter. Yeah, yeah. So I bought those at Costco. Yeah. I just throw them in the chocolate machine and just like we cover those in chocolate. Ooh. That's, so that they, sounds really good. Yeah, they became like these giant chocolate-covered pretzel pillows filled in, with peanut butter. Like they're delicious. Do, do you sell them online? Uh, no, like, I, we just made that for Ooh. myself and like my friends and stuff. They're not oh. finished. I need to like polish them and make them shiny. Yeah, we, uh, I think I think the people I'll bring will want you some. these. Yeah. Well, you might have to put them online after this. Heck yeah. Some people might want to get these. That sounds like a really good like at mile fifty of a hundred. Heck yeah. Have a little salt, little yeah, sugar. Yeah, 100%. Mm, that sounds great. Yeah, peanut butter, salt, sugar, chocolate. Do you do you feel like your running has, you know, is that a creative space for you? Or is it always? Yes. Do you like, is that where like you think of ideas? And just 100%. And that's what helped out like a lot uh, of my creativity. How do you like, like when you have an idea, is it just like, do you have one of those memories that just like locks in in your brain and like it's hard to forget? Or do you like stop in the middle of the trail and like voice note it or like what do you how i do you, like a lot of times i just stop and i write it on my notes uh or like even developing techniques of like how to make this certain chocolate flowers or how to make like this chocolate like the, the petals for this chocolate flower or i see like a rock that has a specific shape i'm going to take a picture of it like a lot of times i just stop in the middle of the trail when i see cool stuff but overall, like, I, you know, when you get into, like, that nice flowy state of a run, yeah, uh, that, like, my brain is thinking about, like, how to create something. And it's not always going to be a chocolate sculpture, but it could be a product. It could be anything. Like, my creativity is, like, really out there. Do you feel and, like that only happens on long runs, you know, on your longest runs? Or is it just, like, you can go out for an easy daily run? and Yeah. Like, in in an easy daily run, it's going to be, like, and that's a great way, to, like, just to put my head on something else. Because, yeah. like I said, not every run is going to be enjoyable. And, like, I, I, I would be lying if I tell you that every single day when I run six, seven, eight miles, whatever it is, like, I'm loving every second of it. Yeah. No, I love the outcome of it. Sure. But not, like, first two miles, like, most <laughs> of the time it sucks. Like <laughs> Yeah, the first two miles. Like and then, exactly. And then, like, get into this flow state and all, life is awesome. Right. And then you can just keep going for another exactly. 198. Yeah. If you If you want. I mean, why stop there? Exactly. And you didn't stop there because you ran Moab in 2020. Yeah, but that one was not a good experience, unfortunately. Like, I, that was my first DNF. Uh, that was, like, last year. Yeah. Uh, the Moab 240, I DNF at mile 103, 107. I can't even remember. Uh, the paramedics actually, like, they pulled told you. me. Yeah, I had issues breathing. And that was because of the fires that we had here in Colorado. Yeah. This is what the doctor explained to me the day after. Uh, like accumulate like that smoke I was accumulating for the last two months training in here, and then, yeah, it just turned out to be like my body treated it as an infection mm. during the race. So I had like a I had a fever. My oxygen level was slightly low. Uh, I couldn't breathe properly. Our good friend Blake was there, obviously yep. supporting the whole thing. He was dude. He's the hype man. He's the best pacer will ever exist period i was telling that to kevin a couple of weeks ago like if if you get if you have that man to like pace you he's the best pacer i've ever experienced i i will agree with you 100 i was doing a relay with him and unfortunately we didn't finish our relay this weekend because yeah. um he took a tumble um and i wasn't you know 100 percent for it but 
it's just, his energy. His energy is insane. Yeah. It's just something that he brings to the table. And I can only imagine what's like, you know, your energy and his energy together. Yeah. I actually experienced it. We and had, that's a dude that smiles too. That guy is always smiling. Always having a good time with yeah. life. And I think that that's like such a, a good lesson from this one of just like, you do, you just have to smile through some of the hardest parts. Yeah. Like, you know, whether it's like personal stuff in life or things like that, like uh-huh. just smile. Yeah. Like start with a smile. And see where that takes you for the day. 100%. I love that. I love that. Um, so race didn't go the way you wanted to, per uh-huh. se. What do you feel like that taught you? Uh, it taught me that it is okay. Sometimes that there's certain things that are not, that, that you can't control, and your body is going to give up at some point, and it is okay. And I'm saying this now, a year after it. Yeah. Uh, it was, I'm not going to lie, it was like pretty rough. Uh, a couple months after that, like I actually stopped running for like four or five months after the race. And I kind of like, I had to like reboot everything uh, until I was like, all right, let's run again. How did this feel again? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. For like, I'm not going to lie for, well, granted I was filming the show in LA and I I was like working a lot. Uh, And that was something that also happened like throughout this race uh, in Moab. I was supposed to finish the race on Monday, my, or, sorry, on Tuesday, mm. but then on Friday, I was flying out to start filming in wow. LA for a big squad. So I couldn't like really risk uh, like being out there one more night because I really wanted to and I know myself and I probably could have like pushed myself, but it would have been really, really dangerous to just get myself hospitalized or something. Right. And I already signed a contract for it. Wow. Uh, so yeah, we had to like the param- the paramedics were like, yeah, I'm not gonna let you go, and I'm just like looking at Blake, being like, dude, are we? What are we doing? And then I have <laughs> on the other side, well, mom, my wife, she's like, yeah, you're not getting out there. The paramedics here for a reason. And then I have the other pacer that was supposed to like, it was just a whole shit show, but it, it happened. Like it's it's you're part like, of life. Let's, let's book it. I think we can make it out of here. Right. <laughs> I can only hope that you would be like in like one of those like you know surgery gowns with like your ass showing out the back, running down the course. That's what I. That's what I'm imagining in my mind. That's what it felt like the last <laughs> probably ten, twenty miles. I don't remember much, but I remember with with Blake, and like he he's the kind of pacer that will give you his last drop of water in order 100%. for his runner to make it. And we tried everything. He was giving me candy. He was giving me like caffeine, uh, anything that would like help with the breathing overall. And he's actually like. He was a, an ex-pro athlete, right, yeah. as, as a cyclist. So he knows uh, yeah. endurance overall. Yeah. So we were trying to troubleshoot absolutely everything. It just, it just didn't happen. My just body was not taking the oxygen that I actually needed. <laughs> Turns out the life-giving thing you needed wasn't getting there. Exactly. <laughs> but so, it's, it's life. It's part of it. So, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about, about Bake Squad and talk a little bit about the show and, like, talk about it kind of from the aspect of, like, you know, as a, as a person that started their own business to now being a face that I see on Netflix every time I log in right now, I can't, uh-huh. get, I, can't I literally can't get away from you. <laughs> um, you know, what, what was that like to, I, m- I remember, you know, we were up actually, at, um, at Blake's house in Brack uh-huh. and you know, you had just, I think like signed the contract. Or right. Just it was that it. weekend when, when they come and they were like, yeah, it's happening. We're sending you the contract. Everything's finalized. Yeah. We celebrated that night. Yeah. yeah we did we celebrated. Celebrate. That yeah, was yeah. super fun. Yeah. Um, what's it been like since? Uh, it's, it's been like filming and like going through all that. Pretty surreal. I'm not going to lie. Uh, from the get go, like flying out there to LA, uh, 
just the way they treat you. It's it's the TV world. Like it's it's a world that I'm not yeah, familiar I with. No or idea. I wasn't familiar with. And it's like you, they want you to become the part that you're supposed to play. Uh, so from the get-go, they rented us like cars, for example, each one of us. And each one of us had different cars based on different our personalities. So the game like this fancy has like sport muscle, like muscle car, muscle sport car, like a Dodge Challenger. I don't remember what it was or like Corvette. I don't, I don't remember what it was. Like this cool LA car. Right. So each one of the, the, the people from the show got different cars based on our personalities. And we stayed in like really nice hotels. And then we all had like our own trailers, our own assistants. Uh, yeah, it was like just ridiculous. For 35 days, you feel like you're freaking Madonna. And I'm, dude, I'm, I'm a chocolate guy from Colorado that drives a camper van. Like, <laughs> you know me. Like, <laughs> But, I mean, you're my Madonna. I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah. I, I think when it really comes down to it, like, that's totally like, I remember like you're like, this is going to be crazy. Yeah. This is crazy. And how do you, how do you feel about the experience afterwards now? Uh, the experience was amazing. Like after the show has aired, there's been nothing but positive things. I mean, you put chocolate all over your head. Uh, yeah. Like th- those are like fun things and shots that we've done. <laughs> and yeah, like, you know, social media nowadays is like a big factor. So my social media blew up when it comes to like followers. And now I'm getting like questions to go out and do consulting and, different countries from like the middle east and like europe south america all over the place so it's so, been it's been good for you it's been great yeah not gonna lie i still want a nice birthday cake though uh you got it bud <laughs> don't be too big for me um so i, I want to kind of like bring things like kind of to a close a little bit like i think one of the most beautiful things kind of in our conversation was kind of the idea of patience and kind of how it all comes together like patience to create beautiful chocolate Yep. Patience in running. I feel like patience is also a huge factor when you go back in your history in golf. You know, is, is patience something that you feel like you you practice? And if if so, if you're practicing patience, like what is, what do you what what does that look like? Uh I mean patience is like what you're saying, it's it's everything. It's on a on a professional standpoint when it comes to chocolate, it, it's everything. It's it's practice. It's, like learning a craft and a craft like takes a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, so you have to be patient. You're not going to be good at something right away. Right. And then when it comes to running, it's, uh, and let's go back to that. Like I'm, I'm not good at running. I just go the distance. I'm just a stubborn donkey that's going to go forever, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not a pro or anything like that. I just go very long. So I would say that I'm good. Like my head is good to conquer those distances. But I'm not like a, a good runner per se. Like you put like, I don't know if I would even qualify for Boston just to run a marathon. You know what I mean? Like sure. I, I'm not a talented runner like, like that. Uh, but I do believe that patience is absolutely everything. Just trust the process when it comes to training and then trust the process when it comes to developing a craft for either chocolate or being a saber chef or anything that you want to do in life. That's awesome, man. And this is this has been a fun conversation. I had a whole list of notes and I completely didn't like go off this at all. This is just a super fun conversation. <laughs> That's awesome. Sitting down, talking about running and chocolate and all things passion in life. So Heck thanks yeah, for dude. thanks for giving me the time today, man. Dude, thank you so much for having me. This is gonna be fun. Heck yeah. Cool.